Hey. You're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast. Where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Welcome back to the show team. My name is Amelia and today we have yet another awesome guest on the show. We have Carmen, who is a technical business consultant. Welcome to the show, Carmen. Hi, Amelia. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I think we're all sitting here wondering, what is a technical business consultant? So hopefully starting with an easy question, what is your job? It's a complicated one, but it's also simple in a way. So my job is to work with people and businesses to transform their ideas into products and services and help them in their business if they want to improve a product or they have a product idea and don't know where to start. So that was a beautiful pitch. It described it in a very high level. Do you want to dive into a little bit more detail about, for example, like what does that actually look like? There are many facets to it. So my background is a scientist, an inventor, and I worked in product development and research for a number of years. So when we make a product or we're developing a service for somebody, we think about what is it we want to do, and then we test that concept. And we have tests and experiments to test different facets of what goes into a product or service. And then there are various phases in a development process. And I, because I've worked across a number of industries with different products and services, I'm able to take my customers from concept to delivery. And I work with other professionals across marketing, quality, regulatory, and other areas to ensure that even if someone comes in and says, I want to do this, and they have no idea what's required, we can support them through the entire process. And there's something commercially viable at the end, because sometimes there isn't enough support and a lot of trial and error goes into developing a product and halfway through people run out of money. And it's very disappointing because we have great inventors in Australia. There just isn't enough support available. So I'm trying to fill that gap using what I've learned through the years. Fantastic. It sounds like you would get to talk to a lot of people who have like had that light bulb moment and come up with an interesting idea. Definitely. And I think that's the most exciting part of my job. I meet so many people who say they were doing something unrelated to what the idea was and this idea popped into their head. And within a day or two, they developed the concept and now they're ready to start developing whatever it is. I hope most of the listeners at some point in their lives have had that moment, whether or not you followed through on the idea, but it it is exciting when you're like, has anyone actually done this before? And you Google it and discover they haven't. That's a cool moment. It is. And I think people living with problems are the best people to solve the problem. And we don't give enough credit to that because the inventors and scientists and people of note from the past were people who were just thinking about things. I have this problem. How do I fix it? Is there anything available? And if not, putting pen to paper and figuring out how to solve it. So I think we all have the potential to be inventors, regardless of what our background is. We just have to have the right support. You did mention that you invented something. Can you talk us through what that story is? It's a smaller invention, but I'll go through it. It still counts. It still counts. (laughs) 
<laughs> a few years ago, I worked for a company called Celestis, and they were pioneers in developing point-of-care diagnostics for humans, specifically for TB. So they have uh, had a product called Quantiferon Gold, and since then, they've been acquired by an American company called Kyogen. But I was a principal scientist there for a few years, and I was working on the, the main product while working on side, pro side projects. And through the course of the work, I noticed something that I thought was of note, raised all the flags. I think this is exciting. Everyone just thought I was um, excited over nothing. So I started collecting data, put together a project proposal and begged for resources, eventually got it. And I guess a long story short, I discovered a way to take the process of doing a blood test, taking that from a 36-hour process down to a one-day process. And in a hospital setting, you could deliver the results in two to four hours, depending on what your resources available were. That's cool. Like it's not something your average person out there is going to know about or probably even use, hopefully ever, but that's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. I, I was pretty excited because I lived in the Northern Territory for a while and looking at the difficulties rural doctors have without facilities, without refrigeration, no labs on site. For me, that was my light bulb moment. This could change everything for people like them, people in third world countries. And I guess that's why I was so excited about pushing it. And thankfully, someone heard and it went through. And it wasn't, I guess, when you work in industry, you have to keep everyone paid. And at the end of the day, you have to do what's commercially viable. So while that was discovered, I was told initially, it's not commercially viable at this time, we're going to shelve it. And I left the company. And about two years later, I got a call saying, we're ready to patent this. <laughs> Here's the paperwork. Uh, yeah, it was a call. Uh, it was first um, a message and then a call. But yeah, it was out of the blue. I, I never expected this to eventuate. So it was a pleasant surprise. And they didn't forget about you. Thankfully, <laughs> I guess because I was the core person working on it, the one who discovered it, it was hard not to. And I guess that's a great thing about working in science. Documentation is so important. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit harder for someone. I mean, it's obviously still possible. It's a bit harder for them to wander off with your idea. <laughs> that's a lovely story. And obviously, that would be a very energizing kind of experience to go through. So if someone comes to you, come up with a shape of an idea, they've done a little bit of market research, like what kind of conversation do you have with them? I'm just wondering if someone like drops you an email and you're like, let's, let's have a chat. Like, how do you start? I start by asking them what it is they want to do. What is it they're, they've invented? What is the idea? So for example, if you have a new glue, what is the glue for? Is it multi-purpose? Is it a super glue? What are the components? Have you tested it? Have you looked at the markets and what's available and how it compares? Go through a, a brief background analysis. And depending on how much of homework they've done, I'll guide them through the process of testing the proof of concept. Does it work? We've got an idea, but can we make a glue? What is the process for it? And then I'd help them design the tests to at least get to phase one where we know it's a viable idea and we can verify that it does work. Have you ever had someone come to you with an idea that you're like, no, just no? <laughs> it's a good question. Not yet. I like to keep an open mind. <laughs> I guess because of my background, because I've worked in so many different places, I had the opportunity to test different things. So one of the companies I worked for was a small biotech 
based in uh, Queensland. And they have this magic formula, call it that, because it can go on any surface and you can stick proteins to any surface via this magic formula. And one of the things I was looking at was different types of materials outside of biology and uh, outside of bioassays that we could test it on to do different things because there's so many applications. And in biotech, we are limited to what we know. We don't explore as much because it's heavily regulated. So that was very exciting for me because uh, I had a bit of freedom and I started looking at what do people in the food industry do because all of their stuff is tested and that's heavily regulated because people touch it and food is in it, so it can't uh, be full of toxins. So what are the materials there? So it was very odd to my colleagues. Why is she looking at the food industry? Through that, I even came up with different ways of making blister packs, having it <laughs> having it more robust in different shapes and using extrusion. But I think that's why I have more of an open mind because Learning comes from everywhere. You can see, you know, but of clothing someone's wearing and the way the texture of the fabric presents itself might stimulate an idea or the color on a material that you've never seen before might beg the question, how did we get that color there? Are we using different dyes? So I like exploring and I like learning. So <laughs> I try not to say no. I, I want to investigate where are the ideas coming from. That's cool. That's very, very open. I am kind of curious. So I'm guessing you'd have quite a range of different kinds of people from different backgrounds approaching you and sort of going through this process. Yes. At the moment, I'm working with someone who is developing a tech product, someone who's developing this biosafety thing. And previously, I supported small biotech companies more to do the investigative analysis of concepts before they go into a diagnostic kit, for example. I've been in this business uh, as a consultant on my own since 2050, but I've worked with clients in different organizations probably since 2013. I'm wondering if, like, what these groups of people and individuals, like, what they have in common. <laughs> that is a good question. Uh, and you will laugh when I tell you the answer. <laughs> Frustration. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. Yep. <laughs> it's been a theme, probably more so now that I'm working on my own and I'm attracting clients over the last couple of years. It's been through word of mouth. People who've worked with me in different organizations tell someone and they come to me. But probably over the last year, I've been marketing myself more on LinkedIn and doing different types of networking and now set up a public profile and a website so people can get in contact more frequently and in different ways. And now I'm attracting those people who are really frustrated. They come from a system where something doesn't work or we're using a very old model that served people when the population was small and it just doesn't work and the powers that be don't want to adapt or even consider change. So people are taking it into their own hands to change things. So it, it's very exciting to me. <laughs> I, I like change, but it's I'm seeing small steps of a revolution, not in a, a sense where people are fighting, but they're challenging the system in a positive way to make a positive impact. I love it. And I, I'm sort of thinking that that should also be empowered by things like social media. Like, in the ideal world where we're not ruled by a cruel algorithm. But 
people have access to so much more information, which should be empowering than has ever been before in human history. Like even yesterday, we've still got more information today. That should be the beautiful breeding ground of frustration-powered revolution. Yes and no. I find that the challenge that I hear a lot is that there are a lot of couch commentators or desk jockeys, people who read a lot, and that's great because learning is good, but without any validation from peers who are experts or having tested their theories in the field, they label themselves as experts and go out and try to start a business or share information. And that becomes a challenge when someone who actually has that knowledge wants to do something because there'd be stories about this person who did X, Y, and Z and did it in a particular way. And then maybe a a bank or a funder would say, no, this company failed or this concept failed. Why should I give you money? And sometimes the people who are deciding where the funding goes don't have an in-depth knowledge. And sometimes they aren't able to drop their guard and take information in. And then I guess the flip side is that when you have a technical expert who hasn't been trained in communications and simplifying the message, there's that communication separation there and it just doesn't get through the message. It falls on deaf ears in a way. And science communicators are really fantastic at what they do, but sometimes they may also miss the message or translate in a way that doesn't tell the full story. So we've got little breaks in communication along the way that can present challenges. But we, we also have people who, I've seen this probably more with people who do different degrees who might get a doctor title or say they have a master's in, in something and they're a scientist or a technologist and then go on podcasts and videos and write books about expertise in something. And when you look into their background, they didn't study what they claimed they studied. They were never this expert in that field. They're an expert in whatever they did, the master's or the PhD, but they're, they're misrepresenting their qualifications. So there's a, a few things that cause problems because of social media, because the general public, they want to get behind change and good change, but they can get so excited, they share things without qualifying whether the information is accurate. So... Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> I, th- I think that's a very good insight. And I think I imagine everyone's had that experience. That This is a little bit more benign, but where you see a, a video or something of a product and you're like, that's fantastic. That's going to solve X, Y, Z of my problems. And then it disappears and it actually never existed or it existed as like the worst case scenario, it existed as a uni assignment. Or I know actually worst worst case scenario is like it was a fake Kickstarter. That's there's some famous ones of them. That's frustrating. Oh yes, and there's a, it's a huge one. It was a biotech product. It was supposed to be a machine that could analyze blood in X amount of time and spit up. Can't remember the company name, but that lady went to court because you do know the name. <laughs> well, I don't know the name. Um, I think it was a wrist based device or something. And yeah, it was it was like the greatest Kickstarter fraud. I, there may have been another one since then, but yeah, it was a, not good. Don't believe everything you hear on podcasts before. <laughs> well, that's the challenge because to, to get funding to market your business, you need to go out and spread the word, but it puts a lot of responsibility 
on the people who are sharing the information as well. And maybe we need a little bit more regulation around it, or maybe just basic rules, like how do you qualify an expert? How do you qualify information? Some of us go to school and we learn that as a basic skill because it's part of our job. But every person doesn't need to know that because we have doctors and lawyers and respective experts that are qualified and go through certification and testing to ensure that they have that expertise. It can be quite a spicy topic. Yes. <laughs> so back on to probably a slightly more benign topic. What does an average day at work look like for you? I have two jobs. <laughs> so in my consulting job, it can vary from day to day because uh, depending on where the person lives and what the time zone is and whether they're working a night shift or they have babysitting duties or things like that, I can take a call anywhere from 6 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. at night. So I start my day by checking my emails, looking at what deliverables I have because I have a few projects running at the same time, fitting in meetings here and there. And I do a lot of background research. So if I'm working on a particular project, I'll look at the literature and what the current research is that's coming out. Also look at current products in that space. And I also like to look at cross-industry things. So I think one good example is a few years ago, we had an issue. Oh, it's still an issue, but it's been solved a little bit. We had an issue with bananas being dumped because of minor blemishes on them. And this is in Australia, typically in Queensland. And at the time, I was looking at how do we solve this problem with bananas? Because in other countries, they dry them, fry them, and make them into powder. And why are we not doing that? And looking at the research there, and between doing the research and everything else, a wonderful farmer did some thinking about it, and he discovered a way to make flour with bananas. And they are currently in production and distributing their product across the country. So things like that. Like, what is happening? Have, have these problems been solved? <laughs> what is on my to-do list in terms of ideas and brainstorming? Nice. Just sniffing around. I did just have a t terrifying moment where I thought maybe he was going to have just like invented banana wine, which I've seen somewhere. And I was just like, oh man, imagine all those tons of bananas being turned into banana wine and then we're going to have to drink it. <laughs> It might be interesting. Banana syrup's tasty. Banana milkshakes. Yep. There's a lot of good things about bananas, but mm. sorry. Anyhow. Okay. So you've got a bit of like chatting to people, obviously like talking to clients, helping them solve their problems, and then also just investigating your own ideas and your own, like following your own curiosities. Yes. I always have a lot going on in my mind. And I think that's just because I worked in research, had that foundation with cross-linking thing. But I may have been a bit of an inventor when I was a kid as well. <laughs> so someone showed me, I have schematics for a foldable umbrella that was at my parents' house. I remember it vaguely, but I, I didn't think it was as well developed until I saw the, the drawings, which is great. But I have so many ideas and there's so little time. And because there's so much to do, I try to collaborate as much as possible. And I, wherever I meet people where I think something can happen, I keep that friendship alive so that when an idea pops up and I think they're perfect for it, just get in touch and we do a collaborative project. <laughs> I love it because some people can be so 
And I guess if you haven't had many ideas, like you tend to be quite protective of them. And like, you're like, I've got an idea and I'm not going to tell you because you're going to steal my idea. And that's fair enough. (laughs) It's very fair enough. But I love the idea of like, like if you're idea rich, collecting people who you can then handball the ideas off onto, (laughs) you know, when you've got a plethora of ideas. So like, it's sort of like a matchmaking surface, right? Kind of. (laughs) I think I do have some uh, protective instincts around ideas. I I do want to work with them to make sure that it comes out the way I perceive. Because, for example, I am working with people who are change makers and they might have a background in arts or communications. Or I've also met some lawyers who are change makers. And because they don't have a product background or product development background, their way of delivering information is compartmentalized according to their industry. So they may see, you know, a tiny project, but I see a medium-sized project that you can deliver over a long period that actually has byproducts that keep servicing the community. So I try to keep some level of involvement. If there's something where they're the technical expert, I give it to them and then I help support it. But a lot of the time I like to work with them. So it's a unified vision. And I, I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent. I didn't describe the second job, but I'll let you ask that question that you had on your mind. Oh, no, 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 go for it. And of course, the second job. <laughs> the second job is is just as interesting, I feel, because at the moment, I'm working for a government department in Australia where I'm helping them devise a system that helps them serve the country doing what they do but also investigating ways that they can deal with the wider public and other countries and other investors from around the, uh, around the world in a simplified customer service oriented but analytic way. There's <laughs> a few things in there, but I don't have a proper title. I've taken a title that they've given me and I've been shifting my, oh, they've been shifting me rather between teams because because I have a varied background, I can answer questions in different spaces. And for whatever reasons, I can connect the dots very quickly. So I'm this multifunctional person that is a nomad in the business, but I work with the tech team, the process operations team, and then change management team. That sounds like fun. It is fun. (laughs) I explained it to someone the other day and they said, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. But it it really is fun because I get to do the stuff I enjoy. And when you go to lots of meetings and you're talking about solving problems, it's not tedium because you're not listening to someone share parts of a legislation and there's there's no way for you to contribute here. You're actively engaged. And as a citizen who pays taxes, I do love the idea of a government agency doing something genuinely innovative that might help people. (laughs) I think kudos to them. I am honestly really impressed by the type of people that they've hired and the thought they've put into it. See all that cynicism that you've got, listeners? Sometimes you've got to question it. (laughs) Well, we'll just have to keep an eye out for some something to be launched at some point and we'll be like Carmen was behind that (laughs) what was your path to get to here like say from high school obviously we've got the the young Carmen inventing a different kind of foldable umbrella which you know maybe we should crack out a laser cutter and see how it goes but 
Yeah. How did you get, say, from high school to where you are now? What was the original plan? The original plan was very different. I grew up in South Africa and I moved to Australia when I was 17. And initially, I wanted to be a dentist because I thought working was a lot of work. I saw my parents work really long days. Um, My mom was a nurse and she would always come home really tired, feet up, can't do this anymore, and then have to rush into the kitchen and make dinner. And I saw that and thought, I don't want to do that. Dentists get paid really well. I'll do dentistry. That was my chosen path. And then until I did a day with a dentist and did not like it. (laughs) I thought it was all cleaning teeth. I did not factor in that mouths get infections and you will have to deal with that. And I'm okay with blood and cutting tissues, but infections smell and look gross. And I didn't have the appetite, (laughs) so I changed direction. I always enjoyed watching science programs. I learned a lot as a kid from Bill Nye, the science guy. And there was a guy, I can't remember his full name, but his last name was Hannah. And he would teach kids about animals and how we're similar. And there were lots of documentaries along the way. So because I I like science in general, didn't know what exactly, did a Bachelor of Science. Biotech was booming at the time. We were guaranteed jobs, according to the speculators. So I chose biotech and the university I went to had such a broad and well thought out degree that it covered the major areas of biotech. So I could get a job in any area in that field. And I I did eventually. I (laughs) went across three of the four, which is great because I had such a solid foundation. So started in biotech. We had the GFC funding for science research was cut, changed between a few industry-based research organizations, decided I can't be the starving artist of the science world because uh, people aren't aware. Scientists don't get paid a lot, even as a team leader and project manager. Your salary is capped and it's nowhere near other STEM roles. So if you are ambitious, you need to diversify. So I was given the opportunity to step out of the lab and be a technical support as a product analyst. And from there, just try different things. If someone had an idea, I said yes. (laughs) Uh, So worked in different spaces in business and tried to go back to science several times, but the the money just wasn't enough. I was making more in government than I made as a senior scientist doing way less work and having work-life balance, nine to five, no overtime, no call-ins to check on experiments and things like that. So unfortunately, in that sense, it was a no-brainer. But there came a point when I decided that I have all this knowledge and I meet such great people and it would be heartbreaking to see other people doing what I did and leaving the industry. So I need to do something. And that's how the idea of building the business was born. I've been working with people ad hoc who knew me, but I just took it as a hobby. I do it in my spare time. I never thought about transforming that into a business that can support so many people, but Uh, here we are today. (laughs) What was the inspiration to actually take the leap? I think it was seeing a decline in innovation and R&D. When I was, I guess, in my prime as a scientist, which is very early, uh, (laughs) biotech was the thing. I worked at CSL and then Celestis, and Celestis was well-known because they had the number one TV product in the world. And CSL is huge. They have arms across the world, but they're an Australian-based company. And after working 
with two very renowned businesses and then seeing the decline, it, it was really heartbreaking because you have such brilliant minds coming out of science. I wanted a way to channel that enthusiasm and the ideas for change because there's still a lot of problems and people have the knowledge and the ideas. We just aren't using them. And we have a brain drain here where people are going to America and England and using their skills to benefit that country. So why not benefit our own? I like it. How did you know you were ready to start the business? I didn't. (laughs) I had a lot of ideas and I wasn't sure what the business would look like. And I was quite young when I decided to do it. I spoke to lots of people and there were lots of jaded scientists who said, don't do it. I know people who've done it and have failed. And then I spoke to people in business who, although well-meaning, had a very different way of looking at it. And they told me to quit my day job and focus on it fully. And I think, in a way, I figured out a system by taking little steps All the books and all these people say, be brave and quit your day job, spend two years building your business. And if it fails, it's fine. You'll start another business. But everyone doesn't have that luxury. And some of us need to have a day job to keep making money. So I kept my day job and I've been lucky to have employers who see the merit in me having a business and allow me to work four days, knowing that I will deliver. And on the fifth day, I work in my business and I also do after hours work. But Having the flexibility there gives me a lot of self-worth and I feel like I am making a difference when I hear my clients say, you know, the knowledge you've given me has set me on a path to deliver this. And I'm probably using too many technical terms, but it's the validation that, yes, I finally did it. They see their product coming out or that service being developed. I have a client who's launching her product at the end of this month, and she's had so many setbacks with not being able to find the technical expert and being underquoted and then the bills pile up. And after she met me, I could direct her to support systems that the government has available that the general public just doesn't know. Uh, And there, there are a lot of things like that. I guess I've acquired the knowledge from being a person that just changes jobs frequently and working in those industries in the very guts of the system and the machine. So I understand what makes them work. And working in government in different areas, I do appreciate that they're actually motivated and want to help us. It's just that there's a lot of media spin sometimes, and it makes it seem that they aren't as invested, but they are trying. They just don't always know how. Yeah, it's hard. What advice would you give to, say, a young person who is keen to follow in your footsteps? I would say be open-minded and don't give up because Whatever you bring as a person and an individual will always be unique. There will be other people who are doing or have done what you want to do, but they did it in their way. And if they failed or succeeded, it's no reflection on how you will perform in the chosen path. I think the key is to find out what you enjoy doing that doesn't feel tedious and just let your imagination run wild. because mistakes can be happy. It sucks a bit when um, something you want doesn't go the way you expect it to. But if you give it time, you see other avenues to explore the same idea or to modify that idea to do something slightly different, and you still get the same returns or sometimes even more. 
Yep. You never know how a failure might set you up for a new idea. I like that. Just because someone else has failed doing that thing doesn't mean you will because we are all unique. Yes. (laughs) Maybe the world needs you to do something. (laughs) What about, have you got any advice that you tend to give your clients? I think it's similar things. It's find the people who understand you and want to bring out the best in you because there are a lot of people in business who offer support services and they are probably great at what they do, but they may not be the best person for you because everything we do involves personal human relationships, whether we like it or not. And if you're going to work with a tax advisor or a lawyer or a consultant like myself, they have to get you and the way you communicate and what your preferences are. You need someone who's going to respect you and listen to your ideas. I've had younger clients and I've had female clients who have gone to people who did not respect that this person has a very valuable idea and they know what they want to do and took them in directions that weren't helpful, wasted time and wasted money. And as a result, these people felt overwhelmed, um, very disillusioned, and many parked the ideas for a number of years until they found me or someone said, I know someone, maybe you could revisit that idea. So when I I deal with clients, I know that I'm either too busy or I don't have expertise in something. And I try to connect them with people I trust who I know will treat them with the, the due respect because you might be working on a manufacturing floor today, but you might have an idea for a robotic arm that's going to change the way we do things. And what your job title is today is not a reflection of who you are and what you can bring to the world. So I think it's the same message. You are unique and individual and no one can take that away from you, but you just have to back yourself and not get distracted. That was some of the top five advice we've had on this podcast so far. That was beautifully said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was that was so good. I'm not even going to try and top that. <laughs> You, you've already sort of touched on this a little bit, but I'm wondering if there's any particular myths out there, and I'm thinking probably specifically around inventions and inventors that the general public have that you'd sort of like to take this opportunity to squash. There's probably two. The first one that's probably easier to cover is that it's hard and it's not. <laughs> that is a huge myth. I like to use the analogy of baking a cake. <laughs> Once you have the recipe, you will figure out how to do it. Like You have the, the basics of the ingredients and the method, and you, all you have to do is follow it. Your technique might take some time to develop, and you go into the kitchen with someone who has experience in it. They will teach you the right technique, and you will get there quicker, but it doesn't have to be hard. There, There's information out there granted for inventing and product development. There isn't a lot, and because tech companies were so good at marketing their information. They've shared their way of developing a product, which is fantastic for them. But when you are developing a physical product, you can't follow all of the same steps and come up with a tangible physical product that meets regulatory requirements and all the other things that go with it. An example, a friend of mine who works in tech 
has given me is that in tech, you can build a system uh, as a minimal viable product with wonky bits. And <laughs> you know that in the next patch, you're going to fix the wonky bits, but you can launch it with the wonky bits. But if you are developing a diagnostic product or something that deals with humans or animals or may pose a safety risk, if it's physical and tangible, you have to go through all of the, the requirements for developing a product, not just safety and uh, design, but you have to also make sure that it's going to be viable in the long term because tech products can come and go and they can be modified to an extent where they're completely different product in two years. But if you got a physical product and you've registered it as X, if you change it fundamentally, it is a different product. You can't call it the same thing. So the rules are very different. And I think that's why you have to make sure that you get the right advice. It's good to look at different sources, but be mindful of things for products that are not physical and rules for products that are physical. I think that's really good advice, but we kind of live in this very startup hot world at the moment and everything's kind of focused on apps and not everything in life is an app. Yeah. And I can see tech companies are very good at SEO. <laughs> yes. And also creating that grand marketing where they put out a book, they have media releases, parties and the like, but there's so much attention drawn to it that PR is so fantastic that they overwhelm any other information that's out there. Yep. And they've all got their own podcast too. <laughs> is there anything else we haven't touched on today that you'd like to share? I think I didn't cover the other myth. I think what I've come across is that there are business advisors who would tell people that you need to do X, Y, and Z to start your business or to create a product, but they only look at the business aspects and they don't look at the technical aspects that you can validate an idea, but you need to do tests and experiments. You need to explore different ways to create this product. So want to break that one because it is damaging to people who are inventing something. It is simple to create a product, but you have to test it. You have to do things in a logical and well-designed way. You, you can't just do trial and error because you'll burn through money and you'll waste your time. So that's a big one for me. That's a really interesting one because I feel like it's probably, this might be a bit derogatory, but it's, it's fairly easy to become a business like coach, I think is what they're called. Unfortunately. You can just coach people and you've probably read, I don't know, the Lean Product Playbook or something like that. And they're just like, it takes people through a 10-step program, but you don't necessarily actually sit down and be like, oh, you're classic, you're trying to, you've invented a new dartboard, but it just happens to be inflatable. That's an interesting one. That's a, that's one to watch out for young players. Mm. Definitely. It will save a lot of heartache in the long run. I guess in line with that, anyone who is too slick, <laughs> if they have their pitch and they have answers for you before you even ask the question, run away. That's probably just great advice for general life. <laughs> <laughs> if at no point does a person say or whatever their little verbal tick is, that's a really good litmus test, actually. Yes. I do have another question I was thinking of. Okay. Is there an invention coming up in the future 
that, that you you are aware that will launch itself at us in the future that you're particularly excited about? I think there's one. It's because I've been working so close with the client recently. There are probably other stuff and I was considering, do I label myself as a futurist? Because <laughs> I have some ideas that I can share with you if you like. But for this particular client, she is launching revolutionary system that supports academics across different disciplines to get paid for the work that they do and the work that they publish. When I met her, I had no idea that people have to pay journals to get their work published, even though there's a high chance of it being rejected. And, you know, it goes through all the other vetting processes. But academics have so much to do in their day job, in addition to teaching and research, and then grant writing. And to have this financial imposition where there's no guarantee of return, I think is quite insulting for the people that we rely on to bring us cutting edge information. And people quote the information that comes out of journals and that goes into policy and new products and everybody benefits except for them. So she's come up with this, I think it's a game changing idea and it's going to launch on the 28th of Feb. And I'll probably put some fanfare on my LinkedIn page because I'm so excited about her product. Uh, the company is called Scholar Freedom. And I think I wanted to get the right amount of attention because companies like this that are doing such revolutionary things can be pushed down media-wise by people who are afraid of what they're doing. So I want to give them a plug because I want the world to know about what they're doing because it's going to serve not just that particular community, but the world, and they need to be successful. So that's my reason. I love it. This episode will come out quite a long time after after that, so we will get to see what happened, I guess. By the time this is released, we can include a link in the comments, and um, I have... I know that there's quite a few academics listening, so you've all got little red ears, red hot ears now, don't you? Quite excited by that prospect. Getting paid. Revolutionary. Yeah. Pay your artists, people. Yes. Anyhow. So to wrap up, that did sound a bit like a shout-out, but I'll be kind and give you a second shout-out. Have you got a virtual high-five, someone who you think everyone who's listening should give virtual COVID-safe high-fives to? There's a company called Speak in Sydney. They are taking on the way leaders think and looking at big players in industry and government and trying to challenge their perceptions of what leadership should look like, getting them to reflect on whether they go into decision-making with armor uh, and are they letting their vulnerabilities create fear of change or fear of looking less knowledgeable and things like that. They're doing great work and people are hearing about them, but I think they they need more fanfare for what they're doing. I did a course with them last year and I'd never heard of it. I've heard of Brene Brown, but didn't know there was a course called Dare to Lead. And at the time, I was going through a period of change between working for an organization and starting the business and trying to figure out what I needed to do. and Doing that course helped me figure out that I actually had everything I needed. I'd just been told so many times that I didn't, and I started to doubt myself. And 
someone said, oh, maybe you have imposter syndrome. And I didn't think I did, but doing that course helped me understand that, no, it's just society doesn't like people who want to change things, who make them uncomfortable, who test the limits. Sometimes we need to test people's limits because things that make you uncomfortable suggest that you're in a position that's it's comfortable, but you become complacent and then you don't benefit in any way. Like if you think about ATMs, people people resisted that. The machines are going to take our jobs. And now we have PayWave uh, and different ways of paying on our phone that we take in our pocket. <laughs> and if you think about it in a linear fashion, you can say in a way it started with ATMs. I like that. They sound very cool. And, you know, if they helped you on your path, then they definitely deserve extra high fives. So we're giving high fives to speak in Sydney? Yes. Unusual way of spelling, S-P-I-I-Q-U-E. Well, I'm glad it's not speak in Sydney because if I'd Googled that, (laughs) S-P-I-I-Q-U-E. Q-U-E. Spikuki. Spikuki. Okay. Well, a high five to them and it sounds like a great, great thing to check out if you were just you know, need a little bit of a boost and a bit more confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And if I think people find that they're just not getting traction, I was discussing this with a colleague and me, we had a bit of a laugh, maybe we need more of those 1950s education videos where you ask the question, do you have no friends? Is no one listening to you? And maybe that's a way to get it through to some leaders that If people are opposing you, there's a reason. It's more than your personality and your face. Like maybe something you're doing professionally is (laughs) not going down well. (laughs) So maybe we need to to dumb it down a little and simplify it. And I think this company is doing it in part. Love it. We will have to check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Carmen. It has been an absolute delight and all the best with kicking butt with your business. Thank you so much. And it's been it's been great to talk about this stuff, the stuff that I love. I'm glad to be able to share it with everyone. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, please pass it on to someone else who you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to support Avid Resets this year, that would be amazing. Uh, You can buy us a coffee, head to avidresearch.com.au and there'll be a link, buy me a coffee, and you can support us with a one-off little coffee payment. Thanks so much for listening. You're a legend.